Hello, I'm Nick. Welcome to CB Music Club. As ever, I'm joined by my time-travelling boyfriends. We've got Al. Hello there. We've got Will. Hello. And we've got Chris. Hello. CB Music Club is our time-travelling podcast where we pick a year, choose an album and have a conversation about it. This year we're travelling back in time to 1982 and we're going to have a little chat about Joe Jackson's album Night and Day. But before we get into that, we need to find out what everybody's drinking. Chris, what are you drinking? I'm drinking a glass of red wine at the moment. Very nice. Any particular kind? A Tempranillo. It appeared to be about 12 years old. It's been in your house for 12 years. No, no, no. No, sitting on the shelves of Scott Mid. But I was quite surprised because it was only eight quid, which seems um, quite cheap for a 12-year-old bottle of wine. But anyway, cheers, Scott Mid. Cheers. cheers. What about you, Will? What are you drinking this evening? Well, as you all know, I've been out playing some sport for the first time in two years. So I came back absolutely parched. So I'm going for a San Miguel to get my vocal cords going. To rehydrate. Indeed, but I, I will be moving on to Tesco Finest Madoc. Good choice. And how was the sport? I was just running all over the place and getting very, very tired. Did you win? No, I got beat 11-3 or 11-4 in each game I played. Can you explain to us what the sport actually was? It's called paddleball and you kind of play tennis but with a hard wooden bat. When you mentioned this in a text earlier, Chris and I actually did some research about the sport. Well, mm. It's actually invented in 1965. It's older than and one of the guys involved in it was called it's called Bill Bell. <laughs> and I felt it should have been called Bill Bell Ball. <laughs> because I love a bit of alliteration, as you all know. <laughs> okay, and Al, what are you drinking? I'm on some Scottish beers, Highland beers. At the moment, I'm drinking the Cairngorm Breweries Trade Winds, which wow. is a sort of elderflower wheat beer. Ooh, and unfortunately, it isn't as nice as I thought it was going to be. It's perfectly drinkable, but it just tastes like a sort of average pale ale, but it's okay. I've also got Hopness by the Loch Ness Brewery. See if that's good. I hope so. Well, fingers crossed. I'm on the uh, Cold Hazy Beer, which is a New England IPA mm. from a local brewery, the Cold Town Brewery here in Edinburgh. It's very drinkable too. I'll have more than one at the end of the <laughs> evening. <laughs> What have you been listening to, guys, recently? I'll start with you, Chris. I got this album ages ago and hadn't got around to listening to it, so I gave it a good listen to this last week. Carnage, which is the latest collaboration between Nick Cave and Warren Ellis. It's still as raw as you'd expect. There's still a lot of grief, a lot of pain in there, but a bit of hope, certainly as the album goes on. A bit of hope at the end. But yeah, it's a raw album. It's a good album. Pared down. A lot of bass, a lot of drums. The sort of slower side of Nick Cave, definitely worth a listen. Good. What about you, Al? I listened to a bit of Super Furry Animals on the weekend. Oh, fantastic. Actually watching a video, a live performance, I'd say probably about five years old, in France, and they were excellent. Played all you'd really want to hear by them, Slow Life, Golden Retriever, God Show Me Magic, Rings Around the World, just very good live band, very entertaining. Lots of chanting of Hal Robson Canu's name, I suspect it was just after the last European Championships, where he did <laughs> score that goal against Belgium. Indeed. I also, after our last Singles Club podcast, 
um, I was rather harsh on Rachel Fannin and her cover of Crowded Houses, Don't Dream It's Over. I actually listened to some Rachel Fannin on Bandcamp and it's really quite good, which does make me wonder quite why she did such a terrible cover. It was just really sort of interesting lo-fi rock and roll music that I'm mm-hmm. really into. It sounded like it could have been from the 50s, except a bit more hi-fi than that. I think I need to listen to more because I thought this was great. Will, what have you been listening to? There's an informative documentary about Duran Duran that was on the telly. When Duran Duran came out, I hated them, obviously. And so anything they did was absolute rubbish. Listen to this documentary and listen to them talking and how they got on, how they made the band, how they made the music. I thought I'd give them a listen. And isn't it weird that you hate something because it's not part of your tribe? But listening to it now, I've just got a lot of respect for them. What have I been listening to? Well, I after listening to Rachel Fannin and her cover of Crowded House, I went and listened to Crowded House's album Woodface, which is a joy. I got some vinyl in the post, got the new Teenage Fan Club album and a new album from DJ Format called Devil's Workshop. He's a DJ who has done backing tracks for a couple of rappers that I really like over the years, but this is his own thing and it's a very funky sample album. And the other thing, somewhat bizarrely, I rediscovered was the Sex Pistols, which was taking me back in time to my 13-year-old self when I discovered them with some pals and quite enjoying the... uh, just the general shoutiness and debauchery of that as well. Next up, we're going to go back in time to 1982, and Al's going to give us a roundup of the year. So when we're talking 1982 in the UK, the big story was, of course, not the Falklands War, but the Falklands Conflict. Because actually, it wasn't a war, because neither Argentina nor the UK ever actually declared war on one another. Pedantic, maybe, but it wasn't a war. It was just some fighting. The conflict came about after some political, military ineptitude. The UK government basically giving the impression that they didn't want the islands at all. The fact that they've been trying to give them away since the 60s was a factor. Although the islanders very much wanted to remain British rather than Argentinian. But as late as 1980, they've been trying to work out a deal for Argentina to take the islands and for the UK to lease them back, but they couldn't agree on how long that lease should be. So then when the UK started reducing their military presence in the area, on the 2nd of April 1982, Argentina swooped in and took possession of the islands. We UKers swept in shortly afterwards, 74 days later, the war was over. 14th of June, with 907 people rather sadly dead over what seems a rather futile affair, considering it really should have all been worked out diplomatically. However, if there was a plus side to all this, it was that the embarrassment of it all brought down the fascist military government in Argentina, and they became a democracy again, which was nice. On the other hand, the rather large boon that it gave to Margaret Thatcher and her Conservative government meant that they won the 1983 general election with a massively improved majority. Shortly before the war kicked off, the SDP Liberal Alliance were actually, and had been for some time, leading in opinion polls. And without the war, it's not to say that we would have had an SDP Liberal government but they were taking voters away from the Tories. And by the time the 1983 general election came around, the alliance vote utterly collapsed and they finished distant third with only 12 MPs as voters went back to the Conservatives. It's a great what-if 
in UK politics, really, not just, you know, what if the Tories hadn't won in 1983, but what if the Alliance had actually done something, but we shall never know, eh? Another interesting political story was that the Beaconsfield by-election that was held in May 1982 was the first time since very early 60s that the government had actually won a by-election in the UK. The sitting MP who was Conservative, had died, and the replacement won with a fairly substantial majority. The most interesting thing about it is it was Tony Blair's first time that he stood for Parliament, finished a distant third for Labour, but it was the only time that he ever lost an election in his political career. So well done, Tone, I suppose. The Barbican Centre opened in March 1982. I love the Barbican. I don't know how well you guys know it. Yeah, That sort of concrete brutalism isn't to everyone's taste, but I do like it. And I think the Barbican's a particularly spectacular example of it. It's just wonderful up in those elevated walkways above the city of London, and it just feels like you're somewhere quiet. And of course, the art centre and the cinema and so on, it's all very nice. A wonderful place. So that's a good thing. I think I didn't know, in April 1982, Canada became fully independent of the UK. Well, that took a while, didn't it? I know. Now, Canada was essentially independent of the UK at this point, but there were still a few constitutional matters that the UK government had control over. Basically, the Queen popped over and uh, they signed up a new constitution. Channel 4 was launched in other arts news. Oh, yes. And S4C as well. There was a Eurovision Song Contest. It always is. Yeah, it wasn't Bucks Fizz, Chris. As we were 81? discussing earlier, that was 81. So it was actually yeah. held in Harrogate, with the UK being the winners, obviously. Mm. And it was won by Germany for the very first time. Nicole. Oh, yes, Nicole. Singing oh. Ein bisschen Frieden. A little piece. A little piece, yeah. The UK came seventh. Bardo. Do you remember Bardo one step further? No. Also in music, the Smiths got together in 1982 in May. That's hey. notable. REM released Chronic Town. Notable. Thriller, the world's biggest selling album of all time, was released mm. in November 1982. Mm. There were people born, music people. Caleb mm. Followell from the Kings of Leon, he's the singer. Joanna Newsom, annoying harpist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Adam Lambert, who was an American Idol winner, who rather surreally ended up being a touring singer for Queen. Kelly Clarkson, Leanne Rhymes, Billy Piper. Hey. Not, you might say, a vintage year for rock stars being born, but there you go. Gabriella yeah. and Monica Irimia, the cheeky girls, were born in <laughs> Cluj-Napoca, <laughs> Romania. Nicki Minaj. No, it's Minaj, isn't it? Because I always think Minai it should be, but it's Nicki Minaj. She was born as well. The people who died are more interesting, although it seems a bit wrong to say that, because people did die. I mentioned Ariam a moment ago. In their song, It's the End of the World as We Know It, and I Feel Fine, there are four people mentioned in that song all of whom have the initials LB, apparently because Michael Stipe had a dream when he was at a birthday party and everyone else at the party had the initials LB. Two of those four people died in 1982. Lester Bangs Mm. and Leonard Brezhnev. Another non-musical but notable person who died was Terence Higgins, first notable AIDS. I may have been the very first AIDS casualty, actually, in the UK. And, of course, uh, Terence Higgins Trust, named after him. Another REM-linked death, Lightning Hopkins. They have a song called Lightning Hopkins, which is on their album Document. The sensational Alex Harvey, he died. Randy Rhodes, guitarist with Quiet Riot, and Ozzy Osbourne died in a plane crash. John Belushi, one of your blues brothers. Mm-hmm. And James Honeyman Scott. Yeah, from the Pretenders. Pretenders guitarist, uh, one of the founder members. I think he was only about 25 years old. Mm. Drug overdose like John Belushi. I'd like to leave 1982 with my moment of the year. Of course, 1982 is a World Cup year. 
in Spain. And surely the greatest moment of 1982 was David Neri scoring oh. a glorious goal against Brazil. Topok. Yeah, I've no idea how the game turned out, but 1-0 uh, to Scotland is what I choose to believe. And <laughs> that, people, was 1982. <laughs> Thanks, Al, for Roundabout 1982. Let's get on to the main event. You were talking there about one famous musical, Jackson, and a very successful album, but maybe we've got to go on to the other musically successful Jackson of that year, which is Joe Jackson and his album Night and Day. This is Joe Jackson's fifth album. Just beggars belief that his first album came out in 1979. By 1982, he was releasing his fifth. I know. Wow. Yeah. So he'd released right. two new wave albums in 79. He then released another album in 1980. And at that point then disbanded the Joe Jackson band and decided he wanted to do something else. And he released an album in 1981 called Jump and Jive, which was a jazz swing album. And actually, that was the album, not back then, but much later. That was my entry point for Joe Jackson. I think it was his tribute to his hero, Duke Ellington. And it was all these sort of jazz swing standards that he did. And it's great. But then he decided that he didn't want to become known for being a jazz revivalist. So decided to do something different again. Apparently, he'd also gone through a very difficult divorce in 1981. So decided to move to New York at the beginning of 1982. And Night and Day was the album that he made once he'd moved and started to absorb a lot of the influences that he discovered there, particularly Latin and salsa music. The title came from the title of a Cole Porter song, but the whole idea of the album was that it had a night side and a day side. This was an album that I didn't know particularly well. I bought the single off this album that year, which is Stepping Out, but didn't know the rest of the album, and I knew one or two other tracks, so I was kind of interested to listen to this. The only other thing I'm going to say before we get into talking about everybody's impression of the album... I hadn't realised until I started listening to it properly. What I'd actually done was told Al to go and listen to an album that doesn't have any guitars on it. Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) It actually never occurred to me, but yes, it clearly doesn't. And so I'm interested to hear what everybody else thought about it. I'm going to start with Al. It wasn't what I was expecting, I have to say. I knew Stepping Out. I love the song Stepping Out. I think it's a work of just absolute genius. I think it's one of the greatest songs of the 1980s. It's a great piece of electronica as well, with its drum machine and its bass synth and all. It sounds absolutely nothing like anything else on the album. (laughs) When it started, the Latin sound came as a bit of a surprise, particularly as I just didn't know that anyone in the mainstream was doing that, apart from Kid Creole the Coconuts at this point. Tropical Gangsters only came out in 1982 as well. I don't know which one was first, but presumably they were being worked upon at the same time. Yeah, this came out in June, bizarrely, because he moved to New York at the beginning of the year and released an album by June. Wow, that's some fast work. It wasn't what I was expecting, and it wasn't what I was hoping for, I have to say, on that first listen. I'm just a bit confused by it. Not because it's especially confusing. The songs are all fairly straightforward in their way. I just thought that the first track, the Latin stuff out of the way, and then it would go and do different things. But actually, the whole first half of the album, pretty much, is just sort of this Latin jazz thing going on. It grew on me with each listen. I liked it a little bit more. What did you think, Will? I won't say too much about it, because my overall thing would be nothing great. And there are some brilliant highlights in the album. So I'd rather 
talk track by track and call out the culprits, as it, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> as it were. <laughs> You've said enough there to give me an impression of how you feel about it. What about you, Chris? I didn't really know anything about Joe Jackson. I knew stepping out, is she really going out with him, different for girls? And that was as far as my knowledge of him went, so I didn't really know what he was. Was ill prepared for what was on this album. <laughs> um, <laughs> I really tried hard to like this album, and I don't think it was a bad album, but I found it a difficult album to enjoy. I found it quite an uncomfortable album. You definitely get that sense of an Englishman in New York and an Englishman who's not particularly comfortable with being in New York and an Englishman who feels quite anxious and quite threatened. I mean, New York in the early 80s was quite a dangerous place, quite a threatening place. Mm. And I think that comes across. My first impressions of this album is there's a bit of paranoia here, there's a bit of anxiety, and that's coming out in the music. And for that reason, it's quite an uncomfortable listen. And Stepping Out is the little sort of safe island in the middle of the rest of it, obviously because it's very familiar, but it's also a very warm, enveloping sound, and the rest of the album is quite jarring. After repeated listenings, I still haven't really warmed to it, I don't think. Interesting. Musically, I think it's very good. Thematically, tonally, I think it's quite awkward. I think that's fair. I think you're right about the overall sound. It's not a warm sound. There's not mm. a lot of bass in the the mm. general sound. And it can be quite harsh, I suppose. And it's mm. very, very busy as well. It's a very busy, very rhythmic yeah. album. Certainly the first half, first half of it. Yes. And I think what's interesting is that with no guitars, he's exploring the electronic with the rhythms. There's a lot of piano on it. Piano is another very percussive instrument, the way he's using it here. Overwhelmingly, that Englishman in New York vibe was coming across to me and it seems very uncomfortable because he's quite obviously going through quite a difficult time in his life. Mm. But also some of it, and particularly in the first half of the album, I think there's a lot of experimentation, which... I think it's probably interesting, but it can be very jarring, and I didn't warm to some of it. And then a lot of his vocal delivery is very much in the new wave tradition. Mm. You basically got some very percussive, in some cases, angry jazz, and you've got some guy shouting over the top of it. (laughs) (laughs) That's quite a lot to take in. (laughs) So should we go through it track by track? Let's do that, yeah. So the first track, Another World. What did you guys think? It's got a dated production. It hasn't weathered the years that well. Beyond that, it does have decent instrumentation. It is a song that starts an album, and we've said this before. It's not a song that you remember. It's a shame, really, because it should be a blockbuster. Mm. I don't really agree with Will about the sound of the album. I think it's actually rather lovely recording, and I think for something from the early 80s, it sounds amazing. The drums sound beautiful on it. This sounds very busy, but it's still quite roomy and spacious at the same time. I think it's a good opener. I think it's a decent song. It really does set the scene for, if not the whole of the album, certainly the first half of the album, the New York side, the night side. I think it encompasses all the themes that you're going to hear really rather nicely. Well performed, well recorded. It's a bit on the long side, which again is setting the scene for the rest of the album. (laughs) I thought that was quite interesting. It seemed quite meta. It seemed almost to be a song about the album that the song is on. Chris? 
this was one of the stronger tracks for me on the album, and I think it was a decent opener. I agree, it does kind of set the tone of the album. I think as an opener, it's all right. It's quite jarring. I find that plinky piano is the dominant sound of it, and it's not sound that I particularly warm to, and the vocals are quite strange. It's one of the more immediate songs. I like this song. I like Latin music. I like sauce music. I like the rhythm. I mean, mm. you know, there's, there's a lot of cowbell in there, but... Um, <laughs> And actually what I really liked was when they established the rhythm and then the piano explodes into it. Yeah. And then a little bit later, the vocals explode into it. And I really like the vocal delivery in this. I really like the way he sings this. I get what I was saying about it sort of setting the tone. And I think it is interesting as a concept album. Clearly there was a concept going because he's got a night Mm -hmm. side and a day side. So there must be something going on in his head. But actually on the first side, all the songs kind of run into each other as well. Yes. Some of the motifs carry on from one song into the next. It's not just the fact that you've got two separate recordings happening at once when they, the songs switch over, but actually there are little motifs and things going on. So he's got something in his head, which is actually interesting because he's got stepping out on mm. that side one as well, which is mm. so different mm. from everything else on the album. Since you've mentioned it, what do you all think of this merging, melding of the songs into one another? Like his DJ set, I suppose, it was a very unexpected I thought I was a bit taken aback by it when it happened the second time particularly. I didn't actually realise that was happening because my music streaming service quite often just does that. So I thought that was what it was doing. I didn't realise that was actually part of the album. It made it feel like it was the radio playing and and that you were part of this New York scene and the radio's playing Mm -hmm. in the background almost. I thought it was fairly effective. I did have a sense that he was transitioning from scene to Mm -hmm. scene. Yeah, it's like he's talking about different places and spaces in New York and he's just got those different scenes in his head that are the backdrop to whatever the song's about. Okay, well, that was Another World. How do we feel about that? Yeah, I thought it was good. Yeah, one of the strong tracks of the album. I'll give it the, the horizontal yeah, hum. I liked it. The next song, Chinatown. strange reaction to when first listened to it there's something about is this cultural appropriation borderline racist yeah, borderline yes. racist. are these backing vocals <laughs> racist it took me a few listens and I sort of decided not I didn't think so what he was doing I think was using some musical motifs to give it a Chinese feel but I think he was trying to describe himself as an Englishman walking through mm-hmm. Chinatown Yeah. and actually there was nothing in there that I felt was racist, it was just sort of observational of the time. I was genuinely worried about those backing vocals because it did sound like trying to do it in a Chinese accent. But I also yeah. noticed that some of the other singing on some of the other songs on the album were done with a very similar sort of nasal tone. I quite liked it. Again, it's not great. I really like the one note bass at the start of it. It's really quite heavy and some of the lyrics are quite amusing. The last verse about the guy with the knife in his back and the cop came along and told him to move on. It's not a great song, and I can't listen to it without cringing a little bit at those backing vocals. Yeah, yeah. Other than that, I think it's all right. Chris? I agree with everything Al said. I just find the narrative a little bit kind of heavy-handed as well. I just don't find it a very interesting story. (laughs) Englishman trying to find a restaurant in Chinatown feels a bit threatened because he's wandered into the wrong part of town. I get a feeling on this album that he's 
trying out different vocal styles and on this one it's a very very flat vocal that he's doing which spoilt the song there's some good instrumentation in there his experimentation on vocals left it a bit flat for me instrumentally he's clearly pushing the envelope a little bit isn't he in a, in a good way you know he's trying to do something beyond the usual which is to be applauded but i'm not sure it works on this track particularly it's him playing piano hammond organ Prophet 5 and Minimoog synthesizer. He's playing saxophone, vibraphone and lead vocals. And then he's got bass, vocals and percussion, drums, timbales and percussion, congas, bongos, timbales, glockenspiel, xylophone, percussion, flute and vocals. So it's all about the percussion. So that was Chinatown, then TV Age. start with chris on this one this one i think is dated quite badly obviously he's talking about the advent of cable television which 40 years ago was a novelty now it seems less so there he was imagining 13 channels whoa it's almost a bit like a sermon isn't it but subjectively it hasn't really aged well and musically it hasn't really aged well i don't really like the delivery that shouty half-spoken delivery that he's got here this reminded me of, remember Thomas Dolby? Yes, I remember Thomas Dolby, yeah. another multi-instrumentalist. That sense of paranoia and anxiety around stuff. Fear of modern life, isn't it? Modern life is worrying. The early 80s was quite a pivotal time in changing culture. You know, the difference between the 70s and the 80s is immeasurable compared to the difference between the 80s and the 90s and the 90s and the noughties and stuff. That was a fundamental kind of cultural shift. It's interesting you say Thomas Dolby. That was something that I picked up on. There was also a little bit of the sort of more annoying shouty end of the B-52s about mm. this song. I know what you mean, uh, yeah. I didn't like this song, <laughs> I must admit. It was quite jarring and it didn't really speak to me. Will, what did you think? I heard a little bit of David Byrne in there. Yeah, the rantier end of, uh, of David Byrne. The thing about the song is it doesn't belong on this album. It's out of time, if you like. I kind of liked it, and it was the one time in the album where the Latin rhythms that he was using were actually being effective, ironically. Odd, I think, but interesting. What did you think, Al? I think musically, it's interesting. It's a bit ahead of its time. It sounds like a lot of pop music that's going to come along in the next three or four years. I think lyrically it's weak, though. Everything Chris said about lyrics is totally valid. I'd cringe a little bit at it. It's, it is like an old man ranting. Are we judging it because obviously life has moved on considerably in the last 40 years? In terms of dismissing the lyrics, that's with the benefit of 40 years of progress, isn't it? Oh, I don't know. I think by 1982, ranting about the bad influence of television is a bit lame, isn't it? But, um, I mean, as you said in the preamble, 1982, Britain had only just had its fourth channel. Cable TV was for mad people in garages with 40-foot aerials on the top of their houses. <laughs> it was an American thing. And I can imagine for Joe Jackson arriving in New York and suddenly going from the three channels that he would have had because Channel 4 wouldn't have launched when he left, suddenly finding 15 channels of cable would have been quite overwhelming. So maybe we're being a little bit unfair in judging. Yeah, and on all night as well, I'd imagine, which is something that didn't happen in the UK at the time. If you are going to, as a performing artist, to embrace futurism and what things can be and what's a threat and what's not, 
I think you've got to maybe understand it. Maybe that's where someone like David Bowie would understand a futurist perspective, but I don't think Joe Jackson had a Scooby. Next song is Target. What have I written down here? White man steals native's music. It's as cold as you can imagine. It's supposed to be a Latin rhythm and it's cold. These are great musicians that were in there and they know their stuff, but they've just missed it. It's like all the right percussion, but in the wrong order. It's a really poor, poor version of using kind of Latin rhythms here. It was a bridge too far in terms of the Latin rhythms in this song for me. Interesting. What about you, Al? I like it. I think it's pretty good. It is the most intensely Latin track on the album. It's extremely busy. I was quite surprised when I noticed earlier that it's not even four minutes long, which is hardly an epic, but it does seem to go on for a very long time. There's far too much of it. And I think if this was two minutes long, I'd be sitting here thinking, whoa, this is great. But yeah, it just drags on a little bit. But what it actually does within that, I think, is actually really good. I really don't see eye to eye with willingness at all. I think this is some pretty good Latin vibes going on. And I would make the point again that this sort of music didn't really exist in the mainstream at the time. And we can call this cultural appropriation, if you will, but... I will. I don't have a problem with someone hearing something that he likes and then playing it. And I think anyone who does needs to get over themselves, quite frankly. Will? I don't know. Maybe you're not hearing it, but there's some bits of that rhythm percussion stuff that shouldn't be played on the beat. And it is being played almost absolutely on the beat. And that's why it's flat. That's why it's cold. Chris? I didn't mind it. For me, it was that kind of disconnect between form and function. Latin music, I want to hear a party. It just felt like the wrong tune for the song. Other than that, it was all right. I'd dance to it. (laughs) (laughs) I quite like this. I like the Latin vibe. I like the percussive nature of this. Yeah, this would get me moving, I think. I did like it. And and I'm interested, I've just looked up the rhythm section, the drummer, Larry Tolfree, and the percussionist, Sue Hedgeopolis. They've played together a lot, particularly with Joe Jackson, but she also played with Simple Minds, Sandy Lauper, Laurie Anderson. Interestingly, with Ricky Martin over the years, also with David Byrne. So she must be a, a sort of regular Latin session player. And, you know, I was digging this. There's a lot going on in it. There is a lot going on in it, yeah. yeah. I would argue too much, but yeah, I like it. Getting used to the Latin thing by this point. Uh-huh. That was a bit of a mixed bag from each of us in terms of how we felt about it. Now, how did we feel about the next song, which was Stepping Out? We are young but getting old before our time. We'll leave the TV and the radio behind. Don't you want anybody like this? This felt like I was running through a dark alley in a strange city and suddenly fell into the arms of an old friend. It was nice to reach. Yeah. Just such a warm, lovely, deep, chocolatey 
Velvet song. And like nothing, we've already said, yeah, everyone's already <laughs> said, but like nothing else on the album. Yeah, so different from what came before. Yeah, it's not just the musical style that's different, it's the instrumentation on it is completely different from everything else on the mm. album, and it feels like it shouldn't be there. Well, yeah, I was going to wonder, was it written mm. at a different time? Did he write this before he went to New York? That's what I was wondering. What's, yeah. What's the heritage of this It book? occurs to me, is it like he'd written a single somewhere, mm. and then he'd gone and written an album and just decided to tack this on somewhere. There's no narrative around that anywhere that I've seen. And what's interesting also is if the concept is night and day and it's on the night side, as it should be, this is a better expression of a nighttime than anything else he's got on this side. Is it perhaps the the previous explorations of the night is like his arrival, another world is him arriving in New York and being like, oh my God, I'm in another world at night. Chinatown, trying to go out at night, getting lost, being a bit scared. TVH staying in, being shocked by how much is on television, how many channels there are. Target just being a bit afraid because it's all a bit scary. And this is the end of it. He's settled in New York. He's gone out in the town with his friends and he's happy. And is that what it's all about? It's only just occurred to me that that might be the case, that it is telling a story about him just finally feeling at home in New York. Will, what do you think? When it came on, I just thought, at last, there you are, Joe. Yeah. There you are. <laughs> Um, you've been hiding, mate. I kind of disagree with that. It's on its own. I think the track after Breaking Us Into and the final slow song, those three gel together quite well. So, yeah, I was so happy to hear this. That's Joe Jackson that I know and love. What a great, great song. Although, having said that, I still think maybe it goes on for a wee bit too long, like many of the songs on this album. But I'll forgive him that. <laughs> I get your point. Will about it does sit a lot better with the second half of the album and thematically it's part of side one but musically mm. it feels like part of side two but also it's not that similar I would argue I mean this is electronica stepping out it's got a drum machine it's got synth bass it just feels weird on this album I think you're quite right it sits a lot more comfortably with Breaking Us In Two and with a slow song but what a goddamn song it's yeah. unbelievably yeah, good the melancholy of it it's just so beautiful Oh my god, I, I love this song. I would happily buy this album just for this song alone. Yeah, because I know this song so well. I mean, I've heard it thousands upon thousands of times. I mean, I put it on to listen to because I love it. I ended up listening to the album and skipping this because what was the point of listening? I've heard it so many times, there's no point. So I'd listen to the other eight songs and then stick it on when I was finished. But I think you need to listen to it in the context of the album, don't you? It was distracting my attention. Yeah, from trying to... we've talked about this before. When you're so familiar with a song, it's very difficult to hear this with fresh ears, but... One thing that struck me just now is it's the first time that there's another person included in the narrative other than just kind of observing a drunk person on the street. All the others, the first four, have been very introspective and this is about a relationship. It's about him and someone else. There's a warmth that comes with that and a connectivity that comes with that which is lacking in the first half of this album. I do find it odd that there's an album where we are all so obviously love one track and everyone obviously loves one track. I think it's one of those rare tracks that unites everyone. I've struggled to find someone that wouldn't like that track. Yeah. But the rest of the album is, in varying degrees, so very jarring. When we get into the second half of the album, he's clearly been through uh-huh. a tough time. That must have been a difficult divorce because there's a lot of challenging stuff in the first song on the next side of the album is very much about the breakup and then we're into cancer. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so the guy's got a lot of issues. He's clearly doing a lot of self-analysis. Why does what I'm saying I didn't say that we were through Always something breaking us into That's sad to 
then we move into side two of the album, which is the day side, which starts with Breaking Us in Two, which is a song very much about his divorce. Go through the timeline of that and talking about splitting up for a while, whether they'd be better if they spent some time apart and then realising not. It's a very different feel. So what do we think of this, Al? Well, it's a bit of a crossover from the first side, I think. It does still have a lot of Latin percussion going on. It almost feels like this should be the last song on side one. Of course, thematically, it doesn't fit. This sounds like Joe Jackson. This sounds like the Joe Jackson in my head before I listen to this album. I think the vocal melodies are very him and the delivery is very him. The way it blends that sort of classic Joe Jackson sound with the sort of Latin shtick, it's quite effective. It's a bit of an M.O.R. ballad, though, isn't it? I mean, it's not his greatest song. Delivery is good. song Mm. itself is okay i would say chris yeah it washes over me a bit this one which is a shame because clearly it's the one that's probably from the most tender part of his heart it should be soulful it's not it's a bit soulless the album as a whole suffers a little bit from being a little bit too dry and a bit polished and just lacks real emotion this song should be leaving you in tears at the end of it and it's not it just leaves me a bit cold do we think joe jackson's just a bit too clever for his boots he was only nominated Maybe. for five Grammys. He never won one. Think about that. <laughs> Let that be a lesson to you. <laughs> for, for being over clever, Joe. I think he's developed a, a style which works 95% of the time, but I don't think it works in this song. This needs a little bit more delicacy to it to bring it home. It's a simple song, and it's decent, and the vocal is a good vocal. I quite like this one. This didn't massively speak to me. It was a little bit too soulless, as Chris says, even though it's clearly dealing with some major issues for him, but I didn't get into this as much as some of the things that are still to come. Should we move on to Cancer? Tempo, rhythmic jazz odyssey. The band are allowed quite the run around in this. How do we feel about this? Will, what did you think? The first thing I'm going to say about it is it's overlong. It starts to become a wee bit turgid. It shows it to be a mess of a song, I think. I'm shocked that this is on the album. Of all the songs on the album, this one just required somebody to grab hold of it and put it into shape. There are elements in here that make it a good song, but it's just badly put together. Chris, what did you think? Yeah, a little bit like Target, I think the tune is ill-fit into the subjects. There's a lot of irony in this one, but it's just... It's got the same thoughts as Target and the same thoughts as TV Age in that it's hitting you over the head with a hammer, really, of TV Age and badly linked to the tune of Target. I was reading somewhere that Joe Jackson was a committed smoker, which is quite a novel thing to read and remains to this day a committed smoker. And the main reason why he eventually left New York was because the smoking ban was coming into effect. And he left New York to go and live in Berlin, where you could smoke with gay abandon, like a beagle. Smoke all your life. I suspect this song was a bit of a reaction against, obviously, any suggestion that everything is bad for you and everything's going to give you cancer. But it's a very reactionary song, isn't it? It's a very reactionary song, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. I quite like the blend of the the subject matter and the music, to be honest. I think it works quite well. There's annoying irony about yeah. it. It's yeah, quite yeah. clever. But the lyrics are terrible and they make me cringe a little bit, like TV age, as you say, Chris. Yeah. And it's a bit because the groove is fantastic. <laughs> I think this is the best Latin groove on the album. But the other point I'm going to agree with as well this time is it goes on forever. It's far too uh. long. Just like I said about Target, if it was just... It was half the length. It'd be a much better song. I like all the elements. It's just you know, <laughs> overworked. It's pity. This song, to me, is somehow still quite good, even though the lyrics are terrible. It's just it's a sort of rubbish song that somehow still has entertained me. I think the main refrain, everything gives you cancer, over the Latin beat, I, I think it's actually quite yeah. good. It's witty, but it's the rest of the lyrics that are really terrible. Uh-huh. What about the next tune, Real Men? And so it goes, go round again But now and then we wonder who the real men are This is the other one with possibly questionable lyrics, wasn't it? I think he means well, but the lyrics maybe haven't aged that well. The heart's in the right place regardless. Do you like it as a song? I suppose that's the question. No, not really, no. I quite like the piano turn in it. What did you think, Will? I feel like it's another attempt to write a song about a subject that he doesn't have a handle on, similarly to TV age. It's slightly irritating in that respect. It's another messy song for me. Don't like it. This was the lead single mm. from the album, apparently. According was to it really? Wikipedia. Oh. Interesting. I didn't recognise it. Okay. No, it, gets, it peaked at number 89 in the UK charts. That would be why. <laughs> <laughs> 1982 was the year that, as I said earlier, that Terence Higgins died. And it was around about this time that gay men were starting to drop like flies in New York because of HIV and AIDS. And it was seen as a gay plague and people were afraid of people because they were gay, because they were afraid they might catch the plague from them. To write this song and to release it as a single is actually quite a brave thing to do. 1982 is not 2021 in terms of attitudes towards homosexuality after all. So I think you do have to take your hat off to him to some degree, even if it's not particularly successful, you've got to admire him for doing it. Okay, so how do we feel about Real Men? Just plods along a bit for me. Yeah, does for me a bit as well. Like almost every other song on the album, it's too long. It's one of the shortest tracks on the album, looking at my... Yeah, (laughs) but it's still too long. It is too long. Talking of long songs, track nine. Slow song. We need the energy If not the sympathy But I'm the rest of you have the same problem with it always being surprised that it being a slow song when it comes to the chorus and not a sad song every time it's like how many times have I listened to this song and it's got three choruses every time I expect it to be a sad song and it turns yeah. out to be a slow yeah, yeah, song yeah. I just yeah. can't get over it I'm an idiot I quite like this one though yeah me too so <laughs> did I I came to this quite late it passed me by the first few times and then I started hearing it I know it was a bit too early in the day for this but I go so far as saying it's my favourite track of the album 
I like the way it starts very quiet and slow, and then about a third of the way through, it just ah! it builds really satisfyingly, doesn't it? Yeah, it gets you. It gets, yeah, this is the really this is the only track on the album where I actually feel a bit of emotion or feel that Joe has given us a bit of emotion. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. Actually, I quite like his shoutiness in the first song, but yeah, uh, yeah there's some emotion in yeah. this, and it's just terrific. Will, what did you think? It's solely, which I like the organ break towards the end. Could you not have put a bit more of that in the other songs? This really worked for me. It was almost as if it was too late to get it back, but it's a very, very <laughs> good, a good effort. Yeah. Al, what did you think? The same. I think it's really good. I think the build-up is incredibly satisfying. It feels like it's going somewhere and it gets there and he's given it his all. It's kind of almost a repudiation of the first half of the album, which is all about New York and, and its vibrancy and falling in love with the place. And then this is just like, keep the noise down. <laughs> Give us something slow to dance to. I really quite like that about it, and I hope that's done knowingly. It's really good. Despite the fact that it is, by some distance, the longest song on the album, it's one that doesn't feel like it's overstayed its welcome, which yeah. almost yeah. all the others do. Yeah. It develops, doesn't it? There's enough different parts of it for it not to feel overlong. Mm. Yeah. If this is a concept album, yeah. I like to feel that this is towards the end of the second day and he's just stumbled into a cocktail bar and some bloke's tinkling the piano in the corner and he's just staggers up and just there's a slow song let's just wind it down let's just finally bring it all down we always talk about the strength of an opening song i think this is a very good closing song it's the almost the perfect last song of an album yeah i think so too yeah <laughs> yeah i really 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 like this it would be right up there with my favourite tracks on this album. Yeah. I think I was expecting a whole album of this when you first told us we were going to be listening to Joe Jackson. I think that's what I thought. And I think, really, barring stepping out, the first half of the album was not what we expected. Not at all, no. The second half was probably a bit more close to what we were hoping for. Yeah. And there were a couple of tracks on there that delivered it, but it was a strange listening experience. Yeah. What sort of overall impressions then? Did you like this? Are you going to go and track down more Joe Jackson or are you going, that's enough for now? I was disappointed in a way. I feel like I want to go looking for Joe Jackson again and find him again because he is exceptional and he's made songs that have they've been around in my life. For me, he's an important artist. But you'd like to wipe this one from your memory, yeah. Not, not all of it, <laughs> but a lot of it. Put some of it. <laughs> uh, but he's still he's he's still an incredible artist, and so yeah, I'll, I'll go looking for him, and I'll report back. Thank you, uh, Chris. I think this album suffers from aging poorly, but also from not being quite of its time. It's got some absolutely extraordinary tracks on it, and then a lot of other stuff that just doesn't work. And I think probably a, a lot of that is because it doesn't work 40 years on rather than it didn't work at the time. I think there's no denying that Joe Jackson has some enormous talent and he certainly has, has penned some cracking tunes and doth my cap to him. Go Joe. But for me, this album doesn't really do it. Can't really connect with it. Oh, what do you think? I like this album. It's not something that I'm going to be going back to and listening to its entirety. But I have enjoyed it, and it does make me think that I should know more Joe Jackson than I do, and that maybe I should go back to the beginning and give myself a wee break from him, but then go and listen to some more of his stuff, mm. because everything has just been said, a very talented man. It's interesting, and yeah, it's got some real high peaks to it, but it's all a bit hit and miss, isn't it? 
But you know, it's a good album. I, th- mm-hmm. I feel like I'm the most positive about it out of the four of us. I don't know. But even at that, I can't see me going back to it with any sort of regularity. Maybe maybe one day, years in the future, I'll see it in my YouTube music library and think, oh, stick it on. It wasn't necessarily what I was expecting, but I think I will go back and listen to his first two albums. I would urge you to go and listen to that Swing Jazz album I as like well. the Swing Jazz. Jump and Drive. Because yeah. it's just, it's fun. It's him faithfully covering some classic songs. It's quite an energetic album and I, I really like it. And for this album, I think there are three songs that I particularly liked that I would happily play again. I knew Stepping Out, I bought the single when I was a kid and I've always loved that song. I'm really happy I discovered a slow song. I think that's something I would go back and, and listen to. And just for the shouty explosion at the beginning, Another World as well. I enjoyed that. So, thank you, Joe Jackson. Indeed. Yeah. Did anyone have a favourite song? I think the question here is, what's your favourite song other than Stepping Out? Because Uh, clearly Stepping Out is my favourite song on the album by some distance. But I knew it so well, so it it doesn't count. I'd probably go with the slow song as my favourite besides that. It's a good one. Uh, Chris? Yes, I would definitely go for a slow song. Uh, What about you, Will? If I can't use Stepping Out, I think... Breaking Us In Two is not a bad song, so I'll put that one in there. Well, I would say, yeah, I, think, I mean, Stepping Out is my favourite. I think I'm really glad I discovered a slow song. And the other thing I really liked was Another World. We're going to go over to Will, who is going to talk us through favourite albums and singles of 1982. So, yeah, let's um, let's start with the singles. Chris, what have you chosen? Good year for singles. Oh, yeah. Yes. There were lots that I could have chosen. I can't suggest I've gone for Town Called Malice. Just a cracking, cracking tune. Isn't it? From a band. I say a band at their peak, but a band just about to disband, obviously. A band they were at their peak, family. really. To go out on a single like this, extraordinary, you know, big, angry, energetic, great, 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 great. Yeah, tune. it was their last great jam single because good though Beat Surrender is, it really is the first style council single, isn't it? Yes. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. It's not guitar driven. It's you know. the immediacy of stop dreaming of the quiet life. It's one you'll never know. It's just it just gets straight in there, straight to the throat. And it I just, like the uh, the lonely housewives clutching milk bottles to their hearts. That's, yes, that's yeah, a brilliant yeah, lyric. Yeah. Yeah. But also, it sounds as good now as it did forty years ago, which is remarkable for thirty nine years. It's a fab song. Yeah, great. Love it. Nick. Again, what a great year for choices. And it's so difficult. I'm going for House yeah, of Fun. Brilliant, brilliant. That's a song which uh, recently my son has discovered. And so we take great delight in <laughs> singing along to that together. And it's just, it's a classic. Yeah, it's a smashing song. And Al? So many to choose from. I put together a top 10 of songs that I didn't choose. My choice is uh, Happy Talk, Captain Sensible. I think it's wonderful. It's obviously dripping in irony, which is something I often complain about. But it's it's witty, it's clever, and and even though it's tongue in cheek, it's also done with a degree of seriousness. I mean, he does mean it. Yeah. It's just fantastic. Uh, it just works, and it shouldn't. It should be the worst song you've ever heard. And actually, it's <laughs> it's just brilliant. Love it. Yeah, it is a good choice. What would be my choice? I'm I'm going to choose one that I hated when it came out, but I couldn't help. 
tapping my feet and I couldn't help watching the TV programme, even though it seemed to me to be terrible. Irene Cara fame. Oh, come on, it's um, a brilliant song. It is a brilliant song. Yeah, oh, don't be um, But I always feel it's bad. Wonderful. Well, I felt bad about liking it at the time. Not now, of course. I was thinking, what's happened to me? Has somebody injected me with something? Why should I like this song? But I did. And the TV programme. Awesome, high energy, fantastic. Yeah, and when, yeah, yeah the fame, yeah. the TV program was amazing when everyone watched it all the time. Yeah. It was revelatory and revolutionary when it came. And out. Irene Cara herself was lovely, really likable. Oh, yeah. yeah, brilliant. Fame's a song that I played. I talked about <laughs> being in a wedding band, and Fame is a song that we played. And I particularly loved the guitar solo in Fame. It was one of my big moments. <laughs> <laughs> How about this, right? Human League, Don't You Want Me, was at number one at the start of yeah. 90. I know it's the Christmas number of the previous year, but it's still number one at the start of 1982. Craftwork, The Model, yep. Slash Computer Love. Yep. The yep. Jam, Town Called Malice. Yeah. Tight Fit, The Line Sleeps Tonight, Madness, House <laughs> of Fun, Iron Cara, Fame, Dexys Midnight Runners, Come On Eileen, Survivor, uh-huh. Eye of the Tiger, Eddie Grant, I Don't Want to Dance, which was my number two choice if anyone else had gone for Happy Talk, and The Jam, Beat Surrender. There's ten songs that I didn't choose. And Pass the Duchy by Musical that Youth. So that many pretty years. good. Any one of those would have been my choice. Yeah. I just counted up, there's 21 number one songs in that year. I bought 13 of those singles. Wow. <laughs> We remember in 1965, we were like, oh, surely this is the greatest year for number ones ever. Uh-huh. I don't know, was 982 better? Um, maybe. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm just looking at those number ones, and then I'm looking at my list of favourite albums from that year and thinking about the singles that came off them, because you had Rio, Duran Duran. The ones that didn't get into number didn't one. Didn't get yes. to number one. Yeah. Yet yeah. You got Lexicon of Love by ABC, uh-huh. oh, um, Marvin Gaye. Yes. And actually, the song that I'm thinking of particularly was Party Fears 2 mm. by The Associates, which uh-huh, came out uh-huh. in that year as well, yeah. which is, I think, an absolutely extraordinary uh, song. It's an amazing song, yeah. It's so yeah. weird. It's like nothing else. Yeah. Before Mickey, Tony really. Basil, that was a great one as well. That never quite oh, made it to Mickey. number one. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> right, we need to move on to albums because we could be at this we all do, night. <laughs> Nick, what would be your fave album of 1982? It is difficult, choosing an album. I think I might have to go for Complete Madness, which came out in that year. Their straightforward album was The Rise and Fall, which House of Fun came from, which is a good album, but it's not as good as Complete Madness, (laughs) which was kind of my entry point. I knew Baggy Trousers and embarrassment from previous album but when complete madness came out i became completely obsessed with that band so it's probably that i think that's a good choice chris what would be your album i struggled with this a little bit i mean we were all tender chaps in 82 i was about 11 at the time i only had a few of the albums i had rio i had complete madness so it was even a madness size space for nick i thought i wouldn't stomp into, <laughs> into that one right i'm going for depeche mode a broken frame I'm not massively a Depeche Mode fan, and I kind of like them more now. But the reason I've gone for that is I remember quite vividly when suddenly Depeche Mode, Spanner Ballet, Duran Duran all broke onto the scene in 80-81. And it was kind of interesting, and then it all went a bit wrong. And I think Depeche Mode were the one band that went in a slightly different direction. Duran Duran, early stuff, really interesting. And then it just all became very polished, very commercial, very cheesy, and just went in the wrong direction, in the same way as Spandau Ballet, ABC, all just went yeah, very, yeah. very pop, very, very polished. Spandau Ballet particularly, their yeah. early singles are great, and then it just became... You know, it just really and it just kind of embraced everything that was wrong with the 80s. <laughs> 
the accumulation of wealth and self-interest at the expense of everything else. And it was Thatcherite politics in pop. Whereas Depeche Mode went a very different way. And it was mainly due to Vince Clark leaving after the first album to go and form Yazoo with Alison Moyer. But he was that pop engine of early Depeche Mode. And after Vince Clark left, they took a darker route. And of all those bands, Depeche Mode are the ones that have proven to have the staying power and they're still going, they're still making interesting stuff. Vince Clark, of course, quit apparently because Only You got rejected by Depeche Mode. So he went off and formed his own band and released it. It's a fabulous song. Yeah, it is a but fabulous song. His direction afterwards with the Razor and so on is not really, I much prefer what Depeche Mode did. Yes, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's mine. Yeah, Al, Lovely. what would be your album? Oh, I struggle with this. I knew a lot of the albums from 1982 and um, I whittled them down to seven that I agonised over and then I abandoned Quartet by Ultravox, The English Settlement by XTC, Sulk by The Associates, Tropical Gangsters, Kid Creole and the Coconuts. The Number of the Beast by Iron Maiden was the one that nearly made it in there, which I do think is a great album and it'd be a bit of a change for us. We never really talk about the metal Probably because I'm the only one who actually likes any of it. <laughs> but yeah. Number of the Beast is a fab album, but in the end I was stuck with two that I really can't choose between, so I'm going to do a will. I'm going to have two albums of the year. <laughs> one of which I'm sure none of you will be surprised to hear is Rip It Up by Orange Juice. Um, uh-huh. One of my favourite bands. It's not their best album, but it's probably the second best album. There's a lot more going on in it than just the well-known hit. A lot of it's quite weird, Zeke, the drummer, having a bit of an influence on the sound. It's all getting a bit African at times. Yeah, it's a good one. And my other one is uh, Tour IA by Dixie's Midnight Runners. Hey. I'm glad somebody chose that. Start to finish, it's a really good album. And I think I had it back in 1982 and, you know, I just found it a bit too pop, really. And I didn't come back to it till much, much later. By that point, I'd been a big fan of Searching for the Young Soul Rebels, their first album, which I think has a much better reputation. The whole yeah. cod Irish gypsy thing they're doing is a little bit cringy, but it's a great album. It's got I some mean, good tunes. They were yeah. a great band. Uh, so my choice, New Gold Dreams by Simple Minds. It's a weird one for me because I remember listening to those songs then and being absolutely mesmerised by them. The bass lines just blew me away to a point where it doesn't do it for me anymore. So this is me thinking about the past rather than the future because I've tried to listen to that album again and I've not recaptured that feeling of it. There are three very good tracks and my recommendation would be Glittering Prize. It's a good one. I nearly chose it actually as choice for this podcast. There are two tracks that really stand out for me. Someone Somewhere in Summertime. Mm, yeah. It's just, I love that tune. And Promised You a Miracle, I think it's great as well, which became their really big hit from that. I actually, I think, prefer some of their earlier stuff to that album. I think that was just where they were starting to become this global Yeah, that was the big trajectory one, wasn't it? So where are we going next? Funny you should ask that, because next time we're going to 1971, which, among other things, is the year I was born. So really, this is the year it all began, for me anyway. 71, if you read certain reviews of all the years, of all the albums, is hailed as one of the greatest years of of album releases of all time. Certainly got some amazing stuff getting released. You recall the old uh, Rolling Stone 500 greatest albums of all time? Of course, yeah. Mm -hmm. Number one was What's Going On, Marvin Gaye, 1971. Number three, Blue, Joni Mitchell, 1971. 
Led Zeppelin 4, Rolling Stones, Sticky Fingers, Bill Withers, Just As I Am, Carol King, Tapestry, 71, David Bowie, Hunky Dory, The Who, Who's Next. It's certainly uh, the year of the album. And I almost chose all of those. In <laughs> fact, up until about f- 10 minutes ago, I was going to choose any one of those. <laughs> but I kind of, you know, I, th- I kind of think what we do is about trying to listen to stuff that we haven't otherwise heard. So I've gone for a kind of left field choice. And we're going to do a bit of kraut rock. Yes. We're going for can, and I don't know how you pronounce this, Tago Mago. Tago Mago, surely. Tago Mago. Well, Let's it's a double it. album. 73 minutes. Yeah, it's 73 minutes, I know. There are only seven tracks, though. All right. So, yeah, I think in the interest of pushing the boundaries a little bit, next time, 1971, can. Thanks, Chris. So that's it for this week. That's it for CB Music Club. Thank you to Joe Jackson for keeping us entertained. This evening, we're looking forward to next time spending 1971 with Can. Remember everybody to check out our playlists on Spotify and YouTube. Obviously, share the podcast with your friends. Thanks, everybody. And goodbye. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.